Welcome to another episode of Heart Meets Mind, a podcast dedicated to unpacking deep thoughts about Christianity, the church, worship, and other cultural issues that involve the day-to-day life of the believer. This is your host, Lena Cole, and I am so excited to share with you today how the Trinity makes Christian worship possible. Before we start, we want to make sure you have listened to our past episodes on defining Christian worship so you can engage a little bit more with this episode. And today I want to start by reviewing the definition of Christian worship we gave in our last episode. Our definition says, Christian worship can be defined as the ongoing personal and corporate response to the triune God as he reveals himself through his word. This response is characterized by a transformed, sacrificial life of obedience, where the worshiper's mind's attention and heart's affection are focused on and directed towards praising Christ for the glory of God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. In our last episode, we talked about how Christian worship is a response to a revelation. God reveals himself to us through his word, his creation, his son, and the church, and we respond with adoration, with confession, thanksgiving, petition, or dedication. Since God is the one who initiates the pattern by revealing himself, he is the initiator of worship. And there is nothing we can do, no technology we can use, no tradition we have to hold on to in order to initiate our worship to God. Our genuine response in worship is only possible when this response is brought forth by God's revelation of himself. So today, we will talk about how Christian worship is only possible because of the Trinity. So we will focus on that last section of our definition. The concept of the Trinity is not mentioned explicitly in the Bible. By that, I mean that there is no part in the Bible that mentions the word Trinity. But in a very simple language, the Trinity means that God is three in one. Through scripture, we have evidence of the oneness of God, as well as the three persons of the Trinity and their different roles. And the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 explains it this way. The eternal triune God reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with distinct personal attributes, but without the vision of nature, essence, or being. This is one of the hardest concepts for us to understand. And there are systematic books you can read, you can go through the Bible and see where each part of the Trinity comes up. And there are other resources available to help us understand a little bit more, but it is still a mystery that one day when we meet the Lord, we will be able to attain in its fullness. But for now, we know that God presents himself in three persons. Each of them have different roles, but all of them share the same essence, meaning that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are God. So when it comes to worship, each of the persons of the Trinity has a specific role that without it, we're not able to worship. A professor of mine puts it this way, self-actuated worship is no more possible than self-actuated salvation. 
meaning that in the same way that salvation is not something believers achieve on their own power, Christian worship is not a human-empowered activity. Believers are redeemed by grace and they worship by grace. In the last episode, we learned through John 4 that God the Father is the one who initiates worship. So without the Father inviting us to worship and revealing himself, we would not be able to worship. And also, God the Father was the one who sent his Son to die for our sins so we could be reconciled with him. Jesus says in John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. So the Father not only is the initiator of worship, but also the initiator of the salvation plan, which takes us to the second person of the Trinity, the Son, Jesus Christ. God the Son was obedient to the Father, and he came to earth to fulfill his mission, as we learn in Philippians 2, to make a way for salvation and forgiveness of sins. And Paul puts it this way. He says in Romans 5, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is only through the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus that we are saved. It is only through the grace of God that we sinful people can approach the holy God because we are dressed in Christ's righteousness. And in the same way salvation could not be possible without Christ, Christian worship could not be possible without Christ. Not only God the Son is the focus of our worship, but he is also the one who mediates our worship. Hebrews 4, 14-16 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. In the Old Testament, the priests were the people that God chose as mediators of Hebrew worship. They were the ones who had access to God and made sacrifices for atonement and forgiveness of sin on behalf of the people of God. But after the work of Christ, we do not need constant sacrifices to atone for our sins. His sacrifice was sufficient to pay for our debt of sin. And once we are saved by his atoning work, he becomes our high priest, and we can approach the Lord through him, through his righteousness. 
And then we move on to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. In John 14, verses 15 through 17, John recorded Jesus' promise to his disciples of sending them a helper. He said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. And later in chapter 16, verses 8 through 11, Jesus tells them what the role of this helper would be. He says, and when he comes, the helper, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because they go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit was later fulfilled in Acts 2. Jesus was no longer on earth, but God's presence was still on earth through the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus told his disciples, one of the crucial roles of the third person of the Trinity was the conviction of sin. And only when we acknowledge our state of sin is when we acknowledge our need for a Savior. And that salvation comes through believing in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior who gives us a new life and he dresses us in his righteousness. But the role of the Holy Spirit doesn't stop here. God the Spirit is the one who empowers and prompts our worship. Philippians 3.3 says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And we also learned that we worship in spirit back in John 4. We have the desire to worship God because the Spirit of God is within us. We have the ability to turn away from our old life of sin because the Spirit of God is within us. And we are able to understand the Word of God. We are able to be transformed by His truth and to respond to God's self-revelation because the Spirit of God illuminates us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 verses 17 through 18, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So what does this mean for us? Christian worship should not be focused on the believer's ability to worship. Because on our own strength, we cannot be saved and we cannot worship. Christian worship should be focused on praising Christ, the high priest who intercedes for his people, to glorify the Father, to make the Father visible through the power of the Holy Spirit. When worship is guided by the Trinity, believers are constantly reminded of the gospel and the privilege they have of being part of the ongoing worship within the triune God. 
So in our personal worship, we need to come before the Lord understanding that our salvation is only possible through God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And again, don't burden yourself with the idea that you are the one carrying out your salvation or that you're the one carrying out the effectiveness of your worship. We do not worship to be accepted by God. We worship from an accepted state before the Lord. So embrace the grace of God and rest in the fact that He is your Savior and He will sustain you and guide your heart in worship. And in our corporate worship, it is crucial that our prayers, songs, our teachings are filled with Trinitarian language, meaning that we address each person of the Trinity in our service. This Trinitarian language reminds us of the gospel, but also it doesn't let us forget that we worship by grace because the Father invites us, the Son mediates, and the Holy Spirit empowers. It also allows us to have a more accurate and full image of who God is and what he has done and will continue to do in us. Pastors and worship leaders, please, like I said in last episode, let us not give music technology or traditions, the power that only the Holy Spirit has to illuminate our minds so we can receive God's revelation and respond in worship. And let us not treat the Holy Spirit as someone who we can just summon as we portray worship as a supernatural experience. The Holy Spirit is already within us. He's with us. God is with us. And there is nothing we can do or say to simulate the transforming power of his work in us. So let us worship our triune God. And we have arrived to the end of the second episode on defining Christian worship. Like I said before, when we are reunited with God in heaven, we will be able to understand this mystery of the Trinity. But I hope that today's episode shed some light into the subject and helped you understand a little bit more. And in our next episode, we will talk about how Christian worship is ongoing. But for now, let me leave you with some questions for you to think about this week. The first question is, how has the role of the Trinity informed your understanding of the gospel and of Christian worship? The second one is, how can you incorporate Trinitarian language in your prayers? I want to challenge you to try it out this week and to pray to each person of the Trinity. And then the third one is, are both believers and non-believers worshipers? This one will set us up for next week's uh, episode. And the fourth question is, can you stop worshiping? If you answer yes, you have to tell me why. And if you answer no, you have to tell me why. You can also find these questions in the description below. And we will be sharing recaps of the episode and these questions through our social media platforms and email. So if you haven't, you can check out our website, livingonthealtar.com and subscribe. And you will also find our social media handle there. If you want access to the sources behind these episodes, you can visit livingonthealtar.com and go to our Heart Meets Mind page. And thank you for listening. This was another episode of Heart Meets Mind by Living on the Altar.